Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, FM Riverside. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and it is Tuesday because Mr. Michael Hawley is here. That is correct. I'm here at nice, hot Buffalo, New York right now. Hot Buffalo, New York. Well, <laughs> yes, it is. That's a good thing. It'll cool down a little bit, though. Well, it's September. It's not going to stay too hot, too long, you know. <laughs> yeah. So now we are. Uh, we've got a guest here. This new book is called uh, "When Black Panthers Prowled America," and so let's introduce Dr. Alvin Pam. Thank you for being here. Thank you. By the way, America is spelled with a K. Yes. A little reference to the KKK and to the Nazi swastika. Oh, okay. So they just thought as America. Wow. Okay, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. First of all, let's let's start let's start with you. Now, what made you decide to write a book covering the Black Panthers and America? Well, it has a lot of personal meaning for me. In 1964, I went to Mississippi on a voter registration job as a volunteer. A thousand northern students went to Mississippi, called by Dr. Martin Luther King, to help register voters. And right off, right off the bat, three of us were killed by the Klan. Wow. Right uh, immediately. And that led uh, Lyndon Johnson calling uh, the National Guard and, and uh, troops, regular troops, to look for them, and the FBI. The state was saturated with FBI agents after that uh, because of the, the three people killed. Two were white from the north, like myself, you know, just volunteers who came down. And so that had political ramifications, whereas the black guy who was killed, a local Mississippian, that was nothing new and nothing the FBI or the country would have been excited about. Sounds like Mississippi Burning, that movie? That's about that. It's about that oh. project. Wow. 
It's exactly about that project. And there's a lot of things in that movie that are true, wow. including the FBI uh, breaking their mold and resorting to dirty tactics to break the Klan. But uh, it took years and years and years to catch up with the killers because the Mississippi juries don't always acquit them. Eventually, they were convicted on federal charges, not state charges. Anyway, I was there. We tried to register voters. We registered almost none in the whole summer. Wow. But it built up consciousness amongst the white volunteers and uh, also the local people. And there was outside help that was visible. They could see us. And we were connected back in, in the north. We had families. We had congressmen, <laughs> which they, they had nothing. Right. Anyway, I went through that summer. We all got radicalized. The ones who wanted to stay full-time, some did, and work full-time, they all belonged to an organization called SNCC, a Student Non-Violating, Non-Violent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, that worked year-round on voter registration and were constantly in jail, uh, constantly beat up. We got to meet some of them, not in a deep way, but, you know, the guys on my project and uh, so on. Stokely Carmichael came to visit us once, and at the end of the summer, uh, I came back to Buffalo where I was going to graduate school. Oh, UB? Yes, <laughs> UB. <laughs> a woman who had been on the project, but not on my project, a different project. You know, we were all in different sites in the state. I was in Holly Springs. I met this woman who had been on the project. So Marilyn worked in a different project and came back to Buffalo with a different school. And we each set up a core chapter in our school. Core was a, a militant group that uh, used nonviolent methods, come up and move the king, to try to change discrimination in Buffalo. And so we each created a chapter in our own universities, and we teamed up with the town uh, version of core, and uh, we logged in hundreds of miles of picketing and stuff. Ended up in jail, of course. That was required. That was like the 1966 to 68, something like that? or Yeah, that was 1965. Okay. The project, Mississippi project was 64, and that was 65. Okay. So we went through that eventually, of course. We fell in love, got married, a uh, very romantic kind of situation. But then the civil rights movement changed. Uh, it got much more complex and much more militant. So the summer of 64 was a Martin Luther King Day. It was a, that was a tough summer of nonviolent protests, passive resistance to the police. Let them arrest you. Make them carry you out by going limp, uh, you know, but no, in no way resist them. And uh, so we did that. We closed the Board of Education on one occasion, you know, by refusing to leave and bringing up our issues that they didn't want to hear um, and so on. The civil rights movement changed because Stokely Carmichael came along. He wanted all whites out. It wasn't that he wasn't grateful and respectful of whites and their contribution to the civil rights movement, but he felt the civil rights movement had to take an all-black turn in which it was all self-help. And he talked a lot about, you know, community, uh, community projects, community control. His big watchword was community control. So that changed the civil rights movement because he wasn't, he wasn't very much of a pacifist. He could not really control it. But he loved Martin Luther King, so he was always respectful. But then the movement got even more radical. And then in Oakland, California, a man named Huey P. Newton founded the Black Panther Party. Now, the Black Panther Party, people lionize them today, but they don't know much about them. The Black Panther Party was not committed 
to nonviolence. They were committed, to, on the contrary, to violence. And their target was the police force. And they wanted to make war on the police force that they viewed as an occupation force in the, in the ghetto. And so Newton recruited, you could say a gang, but it was more than a gang. It was a militia unit. He created a militia unit of gangbangers and ex-cons, mostly ex-cons. You couldn't even get in if you didn't have a history of uh, trouble with the police. <laughs> that was the one thing that he trusted. He didn't trust, that. He didn't trust college students, just that. And they armed themselves. They wore kind of a uniform, the black leather jacket, the black beret, the black boots, and uh, carried weapons openly. Now, the issue of carrying weapons openly itself is quite fascinating. The California legislature... I don't remember the exact year, I think it was 67, passed a law allowing the open carry of weapons without licenses. Very familiar today. They passed it because blacks were, crime was getting out of hand, so they said, but it was true. And, of course, the Black Panthers scared the pants off them. So they passed this law so whites could arm themselves. So guess what happened? The blacks armed themselves. <laughs> On this law. Six months after they passed it, they rescinded it. <laughs> and the Black Panthers <laughs> were in Sacramento demonstrating right in front of the legislature. <laughs> and here's the interesting twist on it. Where was uh, the National Rifle Association on this issue? Which side were they on? Right. The free sale of guns or making sure blacks did not have guns? Which side do you think they came out on? I would say the, the second, the latter. You're right. <laughs> The only time I know of when they were silenced on restricting the sale of guns. The only example I know of in their history. The Black Panthers took that as just meaning they had to put their arms in hidden places, and they created fortresses in the ghetto, well, in, in, ghetto, in Oakland. But they, they, were so, they got so much publicity for what they were doing in Oakland that copycat chapters sprung up in every city across the country, very much emulated, and they were very brave and very disciplined. European Newton had them were operating as a militia. They were as disciplined as any army unit, and they trained all the time for combat. Now, there's also complications about the Panthers that nobody seems to know about today or doesn't want to know about. They, their, their mantra was, if blacks don't get full equality, we will mount a revolution against America. Um, and the Black Panther Party will be the vanguard of the revolution, and uh, we will fight Viet Cong style. <laughs> the war in Vietnam was going on at the time. So there will be surprise attacks from people inside the country that you don't even know of Black Panthers, and the police will be assassinated, bombs will be planted, and, you know, police stations and so forth. Um, it's going to be a, that kind of a revolution, because they didn't have the numbers. Uh, you know, like in Vietnam, the local people, of course, but not in America. That was their mantra, give us equality or face a, a revolution from the inside. What's more, though, they declared themselves to be communists, and they expected to receive arms from North Korea, North Vietnam, Russia, and China for their revolution, so that they could expand it once they had bases all over the country. And the bases would be in ghettos in every city. So they would set up a fortress in the city that they would defend and go on almost a sovereign territory. Uh, you can see that in a recent movie about the Black Panthers, uh, about how the CIA uh, was complicit in killing a, a Black Panther leader, Fred Hampton, in Chicago. True story? 
True story. Okay. So it was not just J. Edgar Hoover then. It was both. Oh, J. Edgar Hoover led the charge, but he had reason. They were declaring revolution yeah. in his face, and they were going to try to overthrow the government if they could, um, unless they got their rights right away. And so Hoover said, they're more dangerous than the Communist Party. They're the number one threat to the internal security of this country. And the Senate went along with that. And so the FBI became involved with the local police forces in trying to suppress the Panthers. It gets very complicated. Yeah. Then the Panthers, uh, by this time they had spread all over the country, although the leading element was in Oakland, California, led by Huey P. Newton. And now came a split within the party between Eldridge Cleaver and Huey P. Newton. Eldridge Cleaver said, we have the strength right now to start attacking the police. All we have to do is ambush police cars, attack police stations, etc., etc. We can make things very hot for them, and if they either they give us our rights or they got to face the music. And Huey P. Newton said, no, if we have to do that, we will do that. But first, we want to organize the black community to back up the Black Panthers. So that means I want community programs such as free breakfast for school children, such as bus service to distant prisons where we have relatives in jail, um, free legal care, free medical care, setting up weekend clinics by volunteers, white and black. Sickle cell anemia, for example, got a lot of attention in the, in the medical clinics that it did, did not get in the hospitals, the ordinary hospitals. They had all kinds of community programs going, but the most famous one was the free breakfast for school children, in which you could, before, no, no hungry children in school. You know, before you went to school, you stopped at a, a church right in front of your school, and the Panthers would be there with aprons on, serving breakfast. <laughs> so his idea was, first we organized the black community to be behind us, and then we make our move. You know, either change or face a, a revolution. Well, Cleveland wouldn't wait. And Cleveland went against the orders and started his, uh, an ambush of police cars. It turned out badly for him. One of the Panthers with him got killed. Um, he himself was wounded. He was arrested. He went to jail, but he escaped. And where Eldridge Cleaver ended up, you may know, was in Algeria. And he founded um, an overseas branch of the, of the Panthers but on very unfriendly terms with Huey P. Newton. So, wow. And his, his, his group was violent right now. I mean, there were a number of ambushes of police officers in New York City, for example. His strongest chapters were in New York and Los Angeles. So in New York, we had murders of police men in their squad cars. Uh, there were several of those. Uh, like that, where they were lured into an ambush. Was that under Newton? No, Newton didn't approve it. Oh, okay. Newton, Newton was pushing community programs. Okay. He was going there. He was going to get there if he had to, but first get the black community organized. Okay. That was his view, a long-range view. He was much more dangerous than Eldridge Cleaver. Eldridge Cleaver was, you know, uh, there would be crime, there would be assassinations and so forth, but you could get after him, and, and basically he was out of the country. Right. And, you know, you may have heard of it, but Panthers uh, who were sympathetic to him would hijack planes and fly out to him in Algeria. I don't know if you've heard of that. A lot of them went to Cuba first. They would hijack a plane to Cuba, and Cuba would send them to Algeria. <laughs> so, so there was a, 
a Black Panther Party in exile, so to speak, with the help of the Algerian government, who wasn't exactly thrilled with the United States anyway, but they didn't want to be on bad terms with the United States either because we were buying their oil. Kluger, of course, was a fellow criminal uh, in every sense of the word, uh, which is why Newton loved him <laughs> at first. Oh, that's right. He had written a bestseller. It was on the bookseller, number one book in America in the 1960s called Soul on Ice, in which he talks about how he raped white women on purpose. That was his thing. And that's what he, he went to jail for nine years for that. Um, and that's when he wrote his book, Soul on Ice. And that's where and why uh, Newton recruited him. He also ran for president of the United States with one of the, I think it was Abby Hoffman or Jerry Rubin, one of those guys. Hmm. They were a third party. <laughs> they got votes, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, Cleaver was a, a role model. He, he toured the colleges. Uh, he was always an invited speaker. He was one of the most popular men in America. But he was a thorough criminal. So when in Algeria, the only way he could make money was by um, stealing cars from Europe, having them sent by ferry uh, to Algeria, where he transformed them into for sale, automobiles with different numbers. He ran a counterfeit ring. He ran um, a passport, counterfeit passport ring. <laughs> wow. I mean, he, he thrived there. Eventually, he was not as Islamic enough for the Algerians oh. with his wild parties and uh, some girl, a girl disappeared, a girl disappeared, and they knew he, they knew he had, he had her and killed her. Because they never found her. So your book is a historical fiction, and it's based, and you base it in that kind of a backdrop, then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the book, is, uh, the plot of the book is based on a, a woman who meets, who goes to the nineteen, the civil, uh, the, the voter registration project in Mississippi, where I talk about my own experiences there, and then she marries a white man. Now that was based on my marriage to Marilyn, and they go through a process which ends in divorce because of how blacks are becoming radicalized in the 60s, especially the, the, the college-educated ones, like my wife. The Black Panthers was a part of our divorce, you know, because it was, it was hard to be on the same page. You know, the things would come up in which blacks and whites were on opposite sides. Uh, for example, in New York City, the Community Control Board in Brooklyn, where I grew up, banned all white teachers in their schools. They kicked them all out, and they brought in all black teachers, even if they didn't have a degree in teaching or in teaching, you know, and they in a college degree period. And they just they said the schools are horrible. They don't teach anybody. Let's give them all black teachers. Uh, that's what they did, which led to a strike by the New York City Teachers Union, which went on a whole school year. And those kids did not go to school for a whole year. What year was that about? 65, 66, something like that. Okay. That was uh, Stokely Carmichael's idea in action, community control. This is where it went. There were also white control boards who they didn't go that far. And they continued to discriminate against blacks the way they always had. It was a disaster, but it affected the marriage. It affected the marriage quite a bit because uh, the newspaper that she worked for uh, I called it the Harlem Herald, but it really is the New Amsterdam News. Uh, and uh, they supported this, the community control board. <laughs> she eventually is set out on a, 
assignment to interview Huey P. Newton in Oakland, California, and find out more about the Panthers. That's the plot of the novel. Okay. She goes, she meets Huey, she falls in love with him, everybody fell in love with him. Not devastatingly handsome, but everybody was, he was called the servant. <laughs> the servant. But he was not a servant. <laughs> <laughs> servant of the people is what his title officially was, but he was really an autocrat, you know, within, within that movement, but, but a very thoughtful one. And so she gets involved with him, and uh, she loves the Panthers, and uh, writes articles in favor of the Panthers. The only reporter in America, according to the novel, that can give the inside of the Panther story. Ah. <laughs> because they didn't talk to white reporters. <laughs> so she was the only one that could get a story out. But, of course, she was also only given one side of the news, and they, they questioned anything that the government claimed or the police claimed were dismissed as lies, as cover-up, and a lot of times it was. They, were, they weren't totally wrong either. And then the Panthers, um, they began to be incidents that were very weird. A man that Huey uh, P. Newton loved was in prison by the name of Jackson created Panther chapters in the prisons, which eventually ended up, by the way, in the Attica uprising in New York. Oh, really? Because the prisoners, the guards, the, the, their movement was, if any, the guards kill any of us, we kill one of the guards. And so that's <laughs> what went down. So instead of the police outside, it's the guards on the inside. Both. Both. The Panthers hated both. They were both oppressors. And they never believed uh, that any black inmate was uh, died in prison. They always felt they were killed, you know, if it was a black panther. And, uh, you know, that, that was the temporary assistance. Very similar to them today with, on the Trump side. Yeah, on the opposite side. It's always the opposite story. Yeah. But they weren't always wrong, but they were very often wrong. So, um, I mean, one of the famous, most famous episodes was Jack, uh, Jackson's brother, a high school student, appeared in a courtroom with a shotgun and took the judge prisoner hostage, freed up some guys who were on trial, black guys from prison, had them come out, uh, took some jurors hostage as well. And then they walked out of the, of the courtroom with the judge and rushed shotgun. Stick hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. In his neck, to a car outside, they got in, and they announced a free... My brother, at 12 o'clock today, or the hostages died. And so the guards, uh, the prison guards who had escorted the prisoners, um, opened fire. Everyone was killed, and the judge's head was blown off by the shotgun. So, I mean, you know, there were incidents like that. And there were constant incidents along the road. Every confrontation between police and Panthers almost always ended up in violence on one side or the other, with accusations flying and often trials. But the biggest trial, I would say, of the 20th century, maybe the Simpson trial was bigger, but I would say the next biggest trial would have been Newton's trial when he was arrested, and um, the officer who arrested him was killed, but they never found the weapon. <laughs> oh, interesting. He went on trial three times. The first time he was reversed on appeal because there were no black, not enough black representation in the jury pool. Uh, the next two times was a hung jury, and you could guarantee a hung jury any time you tried this man, if there was a, even a single black juror, there was no way to ever convict him. What year was this? This is in the early 70s, probably. Okay. One of the very most amusing incidents that occurred around this was uh, when Lenny Bernstein got involved. <laughs> you know who Lenny Bernstein is, I'm sure. Um, the composer. Yeah. And the conductor. He was a big fundraiser for the Panthers in the trial. Also, I mean... Celebrities came to the trial every day. Jane Fonda, Marlon Brando, a slew of Hollywood people would come to the trial every day and contribute to the defense fund. Leonard Bernstein flew an affair with his swank uh, millionaires and billionaires in his, in his uh, Fifth Avenue penthouse, and the Panthers were invited to come in, and they came in in their boots and army, <laughs> black leather jackets, and they were dancing with the... <laughs> with wealthy donors to their defense fund. And that was written up by um, a very famous writer. He called it Radical Chic. Beautiful, beautiful title. Radical Chic. It was chic from wealthy people to socialize with pets. <laughs> amazing. It was amazing. People were very taken with them. Very taken with them. 
They were buck, you know, they were buccaneers kind of, you know. They, they had that aura about them. The story goes on. Uh, my character, the character's name is Neff. She's named Nefertiti. She begins to discover some of the weaknesses of the party that other people don't know about. One of them is their attitude towards women. Uh, they view women as sex objects. And in some parties, in some uh, chapters, women, the women were recruited as dropouts from high school whose job was to service uh, the warriors. <laughs> that was their, their role. Wow. Uh, so there was a lot of really out-and-out sexism in the party. That was one of the problems. And that's true. Oh, absolutely true. Um, I remember Stokely Carmichael once got into trouble because somebody asked him, what is the position of women in SNCC? And I mentioned SNCC, and he said, prone. What is the position of women in SNCC? Oh, I got you. Prone. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. <laughs> no, it was a lot of sexism in those days. <laughs> uh, the biggest problem they were having, though, was their growing love of cocaine, crack cocaine. They love cocaine, and they were so into cocaine. And they were, were they buying and selling as well? Um, not so much dealing, buying, buying, and they had money. They had money. And contributions flowed in mostly from white people, and professors and lawyers. You know, there were all kinds of organizations, lawyers in particular, because uh, they also would represent them for free and see them as freedom fighters. So even though they were guilty as hell, it didn't matter. <laughs> Did they continue until the early 80s? or? The early 80s? Yeah. There's still lawyers that do that. I mean, the uh, uh, that group. Well, they didn't survive the 70s. Oh, they, that was it. They didn't survive. There have been uh, some recent recreations of the party, but nothing like what they were. Okay, so neo-Black Panthers. <laughs> Cocaine eventually destroyed them. Ah. Plus, of course, the split between Cleaver and Newton, plus the FBI's efforts to get to stoke up rivalry between the two groups by sending you know, false letters that so-and-so is conspiring against you, watch your back, you know, and so forth. The FBI did a host of dirty tricks, you know, to, make, to, to destroy the party and were somewhat fairly successful. So anyway, the story goes, goes on. Um, so Neff is beginning to see all the dark side to this. The guy in prison, Jackson, he's killed in an escape attempt. And the Panthers made a big deal out of that, that he was shot by the FBI in the cell. Oh, the FBI, they, were, they were claiming the FBI was there then. Yeah, yeah, it's that true. It was a ridiculous claim. And even Neff in the book sees it. But you can't, you can't go against it. <laughs> you can't get caught, just like with Trump. You've got to say the election was stolen. Right, right. Or it could be in good standing, otherwise you're not. Exactly. So it was very much that mentality. Eventually, Neff gets into trouble with her editor because um, she's not she's not aware of something that's going on in Oakland that the white reporters are picking up on, and she just poo poos it. What do they know? And the editor says, "No, there's evidence for this," and it was that the Black Panthers then turned had turned into an extortion gang, and they were holding up all the all the shop all the black store owners in Oakland uh, for money for protection money, and they. And if they didn't give the money, stores burned down. And they were stealing money left and right in the community. That's when um, their sources of white philanthropy were drying up. People were very discouraged by a lot of things the Panthers were doing, right. and all the show trials. And it was clear that they were lying about what they were doing, or at least fooling themselves. And they had become something very different. They went back to what they were before they were Panthers, basically. Right. 
And then eventually uh, Huey is killed by a drug dealer. At the end of his life, he's going around looking for cocaine and expecting people to know who he is and just give it to him. And he did that for years. Eventually he runs into some kid who doesn't know who he is and shoots him and kills him. And um, of course it's blamed on the FBI. <laughs> but, you know, when people think that the Black Panther legacy will live forever, this kid didn't know who he was. Right. That really is how it ended. But people still remember them. See, the really signature achievement of the Panthers that has outlasted them was their stance against police brutality. That is what made them famous and got them some very widespread support in the black community and from liberal elements in the white community. As you can see even today, right? Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It's been a continuation of that. So when the police came into the ghetto, they would be followed by Panther cars, armed Panthers, and if they try to arrest a black man, the Panthers would jump out and stand around them <laughs> with their guns and say, um, uh, and hand them a constitu uh, the Constitution. Did you read in his rights? <laughs> but the, the guns would do the talking, really. <laughs> right, right. And so the police had to get out. That made them very, very popular. And that still makes them popular. That is the basis of their popularity even today. And, and your and your nep in your book is uh, experiencing that. He's experiencing the good and the bad. Okay. The good and the bad. But eventually, she falls out of love with Huey. How could she not? He's a cocaine addict. He's a he's a criminal again. He was to begin with, and uh, the Panther Party is falling apart around the world around her. So she gets out, and she you know takes a different stance that. You know, the answer to black people's problems in America is not a uh, revolution. The answer was something the Panthers accomplished, but didn't know they accomplished it. <laughs> white, the white population's response to the, the fear created by the Panthers was um, to create more black judges, more black DAs, and many more black police officers and corrections officers. They actually, that was the answer that the white community came up with. It didn't please the Panthers at first. They just regarded these people as turncoats, and they killed them just as much as the whites. But in the long range, that has been that has been there. I, I think that's been their legacy, and it's a beautiful legacy. I have no qualms, you know, in celebrating that aspect of what the Panthers did. Uh, and really needed doing. The police forces were fairly segregated in the sixties. Do you think that's uh, why? What caused? Uh a lot, a lot of people to believe this stuff about this Antifa stuff just recent, in the recent past because of the history of the Black Panthers? No, I think that the Antifa stuff is a, a creation of the MAGA people. Right. Then, But the, the fear that it brought on, you think that was a result of that, maybe? No, it's an excuse to blame somebody else. Antifa is not what they say it is. Yeah. It's a very small group. and very little influence on anything. Worked politically, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, with their group, with yeah. the MAGA group, right. or not outside that group. That's what they do. So what do, you, what do you hope people get out of the book? To see that the Black Panthers were heroic in their day when they had it together, and they knew what they were, you know, were going, trying to accomplish, and uh, they put a scare into America that we needed. We needed to have our asses kicked, at least scared. And, yeah, it did involve some loss of life. It, it, the country had to wake up. And they woke us up. They, did they go too far? Yes. Did they have their own internal problems? Yes. Were they, were they saints? No. 
<laughs> and it sounds like you bring that out. Yeah, I do. That's a, that's exactly what I do. And people don't appreciate, you know, what the strengths and weaknesses of them. You know, they took Martin Luther. See, they, they, the black community, by and large, has followed Martin Luther King, not the Panthers, by and large. But the young people follow the Panthers. The split is the, gen, the big generational, you know, in the black population in the 60s. Um, because young people are joining the Panther parties in their, in their city, whatever, you know, and organizing, etc. But they didn't have the, the discipline and the leadership that, uh, you know, that Oakland had, or that Los Angeles and New York had. But, you know, so what they demonstrated, they scared the police every once in a while. They would get into a confrontation with the police, um, <clears throat> and the police officer would be killed, and then there would be a big show trial and a major effort to raise uh, defense money for lawyers and lawyers who were, <laughs> that's an interesting story too. <laughs> if I, I'm, I hope you don't mind all my digressions, but there's so many angles <laughs> that, that came in. Well, you experienced so much in your life and then you uh, yeah, this stuff. my own life, yeah, but also this book and, and researching this book. So, I mean, so here's another angle so much that I find very fascinating. Um, the, the, the groups in prison that Jackson formed included some guys who were a little bit nutty. <laughs> well, one of them came out of it and entered the home of his lawyer, a white woman who slept with him. She was sleeping with her client and, <laughs> and in love with him and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when he asked her to bring him a gun so he could make a prison escape, she said no. And he replaced her and got somebody else who did give him a gun. And, you know, and, and he tried his escape, but he was killed in that, in that effort. Um, although seven prison guards were killed too. Um, so anyway, this guy came out. And he goes into this attorney's house and says, you betrayed him by not giving him a gun. And he shoots her. And he puts her, he leaves her for dead, but she didn't die. But she was paralyzed from the neck down. But the lawyers, the, the, the progressive lawyers, right? National Lawyers Guild, I think was their name at the time, they react to this. They want to, they say, nobody, we have to be careful that nobody represents a panther just because he's a panther. <laughs> And you can't let one of a hotshot lawyer talk this guy out of the, you know, the gas chamber or even prison with a hung jury or whatever <laughs> um, because he's dangerous to us. Well, the irony of that with an F season, of course, right away. These are the lawyers who've been doing exactly that for years <laughs> and still do it. <laughs> but they don't see it. They only see it when one of their own was attacked. That gets them to see it. But there's blind concern and, and uh, sympathy, you know, for people because they're minorities and their cause appears to be just, you know, has to be weighed against the cause to others. Yeah. <laughs> like that rights too. Right, right. <laughs> and their motives may not be so pure as you think. And they don't necessarily uh, appreciate what you do anyway. <laughs> as this lawyer found out. The paraplegic lawyer. She, I mean, what, what? She did everything except give the guy a gun in her prison visits. She could. The only way you could get a gun to a prisoner was through a lawyer in prison visits. So that's that's how it was done. So, what was your difficulties in publishing this book? Um, oh, that's that's of concern yeah, to me. Many people liked it. Agents liked it. Uh, editors liked it. One person said, "If this is a a real autobiography, if you really are Neff, we can publish it." And I said, "No." I'm a white male, <laughs> you know, I, I can't, if, uh, he said, I can't publish it if you're a white male. So that was happened once. And in another case, 
He had it to, gave it to the publisher to publish, and the publisher said, no, I can't get involved in this, because all you do is get an outcry from the black community about, with some elements in the black community, about cultural competence. You know, they've already jumped all over. People who adopt black fashions or music or whatever, white people, uh, to make money off the black, to monetize the black community. And so they get on, especially hard on models, uh, singers, dancers, um, but mostly fashion people with clothing. They, they've basically driven them out, out of business, period. But it also has infected the publishing industry big time. Even though most publishers are white, still, they won't touch it. I could not get my book published no matter what I did. I tried for years and years. I would get praise. I would, the book would be passed up the chain and always not published. So eventually I self-published and uh, changed the name of the author to Pam. As I said, I, I wrote a, the, at the end of the book, please judge the book by its merits if you've read it. <laughs> yeah. Not by, not by the ethnicity of the author. But as far as the ethnicity goes, this is who I am. And this is why I disguised it. I, I believe it's still, I still, I believe it's still affecting the sale of the book. And if anyone, if a black person thinks the author is white, who knows it from some, for some, in some way, they're not going to buy it. They're not likely to buy it. There's not very little interest in that. So, so the big picture, um, when, uh, the, the Black Panthers, uh, good or bad? Mixed, mixed. That's historically necessary, historically inevitable. This country had it coming because the civil rights movement went south and focused on voting rights, which has helped some, but not that much. Uh, as we know from today, there's still a lot of you know, prejudice in the south and it plays out in the political system. But it did not address the needs of the north, where the issues were housing, education, um, and jobs. Those were the big jobs. And prejudice kept the black communities in, in ghettos, basically, living in very poor, crumbling down neighborhoods, attending lousy schools with high rates of crime, you know, and so forth and so on. When you see a film like The Wire, it's a great, great film, I mean, I'm, I'm episode, uh, you see kids with no hope, with no way to turn. It, was, it, it really spoke to the condition of the black masses in northern cities. As more blacks have been integrated, I would say, Probably half the black community in America now is middle class, or lower middle class, or middle class, and not living in the ghetto. They get out of it if they can. So they're doing better, but there's still a remaining hardcore living just like before, and suffering police, uh, police brutality, which is why the Black Lives Matter. And you can see uh, the fear of the police of blacks. They shoot <laughs> before they... So if a Black Panther Party was around today, if a black... If, if the same party that came out in the 60s was around today. It came out in the 60s and it died in the 70s. Some people act like their Panther Party or the New Black Panther. They call themselves that, the New Black Panther Party, but they're nothing. No, but if you, if you had these, the same party, let's say, came along today, the real guys, yeah. if they came out today and did the same things they did then and were just as aggressive, do you think it would be successful? No, not today. The black community wouldn't follow them because I'm, some people would, obviously. And there are blacks who hate whites. There's black racism. That's another thing that Rhett Neff deals with. What about black racism? Is there such a thing? Yes, blacks would be reacting to whites. Whites did it first. And it's, 
it's a natural reaction. But yes, is there such a thing as black racism? Yes, there is. And um, so there are blacks who, you know, were going around a couple of years ago in the Black Lives Matter protest and talking about, you know, killing pigs. Pigs was the word for uh, cops. They were always referred to as pigs. And um, corrections officers were referred to as screws. So those titles have remained, I think. But there are lots of black officers today. Lots of them, actually. If you look at the New York City Police Department, and I don't think they're different than many other cities, uh, it's a majority minority. If blacks and Hispanics make up the majority of the police force today. So the black Panthers would not have much room to, you know, to, um, to, to condemn the police the way they did. It's not a racist group, although there are racist elements inside it. As a whole, you can't say it's racist. So they would have no traction today. Plus, Many blacks are doing well, reasonably well, as well as you and me. <laughs> but, you know, I would say that's half the black community are in, are in the middle class. You know, they have some money. They have decent jobs. Uh, they, buy, they buy houses. They buy cars. But there's still a, a good, I would say, half of the ghettos, northern ghettos, that still need help and have every kind of problem. The crime problems, the drug problems, all of that's still there. The community programs that Huey Newton talked about, that would work well today. That would still work. That would still work, especially with the medical system being so impaired in many, many parts of the country, where there's very poor medical attention, death rates amongst black um, mothers and children. Uh, uh, so a free clinic, a free medical clinic on the weekends, a good thing. <laughs> and I think whites would go too. <laughs> As a matter of now, do you have a, do you have a website or a place that people can come find you online? No, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm a generation beyond that. I consider myself one of the last remaining 20th century men. Well, the book, of course, is called When Black Panthers Proud America, and our guest is uh, Dr. Alvin Pam. Thank you for being here. Nice speaking with you. Nice speaking with you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.